That's right, yep, yep. Oh boy! So I can incorporate that in with that? I swear, no, I think these are all being taken down. They're all, all being struck today, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Hey everybody, it's Kerry Collin, Whistle Stop Cafe in Mirror, Alberta. We are at Parliament Hill right now. We're just getting things started. We're gonna do uh, O Canada, etc., etc. We've heard some reports going out that. Uh, live media and social media isn't going out so I thought I'd at least give it a shot if you guys could see me I already see 168 people thumbs up everybody's all good there's lots of people kind of just mulling around we got Benita here hello Benita what else have we got I'm gonna just go up and just give you a quick view of the people out here out and this this new equipment will be here the entire week we got uh, the boys just walking by hello boys but I just thought I'd say hello and give you a heads up that we got some lots of speakers lots of lots of action going on today everyone's safe everyone's fine and that's all I really have to report today there's lots of stuff I want to talk about, but I think I'll leave that for a little bit of a later feed when I'm uh, not so busy. I'm actually going to break here, I think, at 2 till 3 or 2 till 4, so, and then I'll be right back. So, otherwise, I'll pass it along to Chris, who I think will probably be making a live stream fairly soon anyway. So, you guys have a wonderful day. It's a little chilly. It's about zero. Snow is slight. There you go. There's Benita again. She's going to be doing the MC duties today while I just slough off and uh, drink lots and lots of coffee. Have a great day! Okay, let's try this again. Uh, hello everybody, it's Chris here from the Whistle Stop Cafe in Mir, Alberta. Um, if you happen to be watching, could you just post in the comment section if you can hear me. Something's going on with my Bluetooth. So before I get into a, a big tirade and getting any information out there, I guess I should know if you can even hear what I'm saying. So I'll just wait a moment. Okay, so it looks like looks like people can hear me. So I'm in downtown Ottawa here, uh, our nation's capital, and there's a lot of crazy theories and ideas of what's going on, flying all over social media and and uh, even in just face-to-face -face interactions. One of the things that we've heard is that the Ottawa Police Service and the city. Are, are planning to start just arresting truckers. Um, which is really weird because I'm one of the guys that has a truck here and I haven't received so much as a parking ticket, no notices, no requests to leave, nothing like that. So I just honestly can't see being arrested for having my truck parked. That would be weird. Um, 
But anyway, that's one of the things. Sorry. The other thing we've heard is that they may be blacking out cell service in the next few hours. And I keep, I keep encouraging people to uh, think about these things when you hear them. Like, is it plausible and is it probable? Is it probable uh, that they would black out cell service? Well, I don't know. I don't think so. But I've been wrong before. And is it plausible? Yes, it absolutely is possible. They could do that with the flick of a switch. So, what's going on in Ottawa? Uh, down by Parliament, they have some music going on, people dancing in the streets like usual. They have some speakers hitting the stage. I believe there's a couple of lawyers who are going to get up there and speak to people about what their rights are and what it means to protest and that sort of thing, which is really good. And I would encourage anybody who can go down there and listen to that it's very important stuff the media is still doing the same thing as they have been this whole time trying to paint this as some sort of a extremist white supremacist um, occupation uh, that's terrorizing the city of ottawa and that's just not true i'm just gonna flip my camera around here i'll show you some stuff so this is what's happening in Ottawa. People are just parked and they're talking to each other. There's no more horns, very little noise. Uh, guys are only, they're only idling their trucks just long enough to warm them up and then they're shutting them off. So they're pretty much following the rules. Um, traffic is moving smoothly. As you can see, only parts of the downtown core have trucks parked in the street. Very few. EMS can still move around freely. Uh, the traffic is flowing nicely. All of the, the cross streets are open. So you can pretty much get anywhere you need to go. So the downtown core is not shut down. It's certainly not a state of emergency. And I, I really think that it's going to be very embarrassing for the mayor and the chief of police when they start getting asked questions in the future about why they decided to call this a state of emergency, why they're asking for millions of dollars in policing resources to deal with uh, traffic issues that are arguably less impactful than summer construction. But I guess when you when you uh, are, are, are those, those type of people and you don't want to hear what other people have to say or you disagree with them and you can't debate them because the science is not on your side, then you do whatever you can to silence them or cancel them. And that's what this media smear campaign about this demonstration is all about. It's about silencing millions of Canadians who have told the government that they've had enough. Period. That's why the Prime Minister hasn't been down to talk to anybody. Um, he's All he's done is tried to convince people that this is something it's not by saying they're a bunch of violent extremists who have unacceptable opinions, uh, that they're a fringe minority. And apparently, according to our Prime Minister, if you're a part of a minority, your voice doesn't deserve to be heard in Canada. As far as I know, there's been no negotiation between the city and the people that are um, somewhat organizing this demonstration. 
All it's been is one-sided media attacks. The federal government's even gone so far as to hire a PR firm to try and rip this demonstration to shreds. They can't do it with the science. They can't do it with uh, convincing you that nobody agrees with this. So they've resorted to hiring a PR firm to smear this into oblivion. They want the media to do hit pieces on this group and, and convince Canadians to be against it. And they, I don't know, that, that could be successful. But the interesting interesting thing is, even in, even in Ontario, uh, the, the Star, a newspaper, they did a poll, and the poll said, it was basically asking if the city should be given more resources in order to make the truckers leave town. And the poll came back 93% in favor of allowing the truckers to continue demonstrating because people have a right to protest. That's really all we have in Canada. We don't have the right to bear arms and form a militia to protect against the radical government. What we have in Canada... Somebody's been writing on the truck. What we have in Canada is our voices. We can use sound, which I have said is the most powerful thing in the universe, to change the world.
mind, if you don't if you don't see any information or phone calls coming from people involved with this uh, this this movement in the next little while, maybe they did get associated. And if that happens, start making phone calls uh, and start writing emails and demanding what's going on and why peaceful protesters are being harassed and discriminated against in jail. Especially when Good afternoon and welcome to our first daily press briefing of Freedom Convoy 2022. Let me first start with a general statement before we move into the actual meat of today's presentation. As has been said about us uh, from day one of the protest, we recognize and respect the rule of law. Many people say we don't, that is false. Despite our disagreement with the need for an injunction, which was just uh, put in place against us in the courts, we will respect the court's decisions and we will abide by the terms of the 10-day injunction. We do, however, notice that the judge in the case repeatedly pointed out that Canadians have the right to freedom of movement, freedom of assembly, free speech, free speech, and in so doing, referred directly to the Freedom Convoy and its presence in Ottawa. From our point of view, that was a huge victory. The fact that we're giving up the horns for every now and again is just a tactical bit of interest. Now, the main topic for today, the reason we're actually here, is we are gathered to address the false accusations put against us of terrorism and insurrection. This, of course, has been coming from a number of people, such as Ottawa City Councillor Diana Dean, Mayor Watson of Ottawa, and several others. To do this, myself and former RCMP Corporal Danny Bulford will explain our backgrounds in counterterrorism and insurrectionary events. Danny will introduce himself in the background, then I will introduce my background, and following that, we will directly address the accusations. Danny, over to you. Thank you for coming. My name is Danny Bulford. I joined the RCMP in August of 2006. I come from a family of RCMP officers. My dad was a member of the Mounties for approximately 38 years. My older brother, Sean, was a member of the RCMP. He's since recently just left and moved to another country. And my older brother, Ryan, is still currently an active member of the RCMP out in British Columbia. I recently just left the RCMP December 15th over the mandates. Prior to that, I I was initially posted to the Yukon Territory where I worked in two detachments, predominantly general duty policing in the detachment of Whitehorse City and Mayo Yukon. After almost just shy of seven years in of service in N Division, Yukon Territory. Pick up the line. Just keep going. All right, I served just under seven years in M Division Yukon Territory before taking a transfer here to Ottawa to be on the full-time emergency response team, which is the RCMP's version of a tactical unit. So I was initially trained as an emergency response team member while I was still posted in the Yukon Territory back in spring of 2009. 
that was a part-time team that I was a part of up in Whitehorse. There was only a select few places in Canada where I could go do that as my full-time job. Ottawa was one of them, so I transferred here in 2013 for that purpose. I was trained as a sniper for, for um, the emergency response team in the fall of 2011, and that was prior to moving to Ottawa. And then while I was in Ottawa, I had the opportunity to, you can have to train uh, in multiple dif different specialties. Uh, but my predominant role was as a sniper observer. Some of the other specialties include marine operations, um, chemical munitions instructor. I was a fire, basic firearms instructor for the RCMP. A lot of our focus was on protective operations, like supporting protection of uh, the Prime Minister and other VIPs. And then we spent a great deal of time refining our abilities as regards to hostage rescue, similar to counterterrorism operations, and uh, covert surveillance type operations as well. Uh, when it comes to terrorism, I've been a part of counterterrorism operations in a tactical context a number of times. I have, I actually know and have a had a good working relationship with the officer in charge of the Integrated National Security Enforcement Team here in Ottawa because over the last three to four years of my career I had been leading an initiative that I had proposed to my divisional management in attempts to convince them and other units within the RCMP that my former units would be best utilized as a designated national hostage rescue counterterrorism team, similar to what the FBI hostage rescue team is down in the United States. To the point where I was actually, I had the opportunity to train with multiple agencies that would have similar capabilities, including the FBI hostage rescue team in Quantico, Virginia. Um, I've had the opportunity to train in multiple locations all over the world, all predominantly in North America. Uh, I have been deployed operationally or in a training context in almost every single province and territory of this country. I've been deployed internationally in a, in a protective operations context, supporting the protection of our Prime Minister in, uh, in countries that would be considered more high risk. When it comes to the rhetoric about terrorism, I feel like I have some qualification to unequivocally state that this is not it. When I look at the Freedom Convoy, my observations are nothing but peaceful Canadians who are just taking a stand because their fundamental rights and freedoms have been oppressed for far too long. When I go downtown to where the majority of the trucks and the majority of the supporters are, pedestrian supporters, all I see is people happy, smiling, hugging each other, complete strangers of every background, um, embracing each other and dancing in the streets because they know that we're crumbling the narrative and that we are all united 
like never before in order to get our freedom back. You know, I've seen people shoveling snow off the streets and around the war memorial and the Terry Fox statue. I've seen people providing security for those two locations. They're feeding the homeless. This is certainly, the idea that this could be labeled terrorism is absolutely ridiculous just because certain members of the council don't like the horn honking. We have been completely peaceful and cooperative with the police this entire time. We have gone out of our way to make the police aware of any possible public safety concern because our main concern, and I know that the police liaisons that I've spoken to, their main concern is individual <coughs> lone wolf actors or um, counter-protest groups that will try and incite some kind of aggression between themselves and people from the freedom movement to, in order to discredit the freedom convoy movement. And they all know it. Every police officer I've spoken to has been great to deal with. We haven't had the same level of cooperation in return that we would hope for, especially for basic needs such as sanitation. Um, obviously the fuel is an issue that people are aware of, but we have gone out of our way to ensure public and police safety this entire time. And I mean, that, that is par that's paramount to us and to me personally. Um, The only, sorry, I have oh, just a there. couple more points. The only arrests that I'm aware of that are directly associated with the convoy were people who were arrested for carrying fuel or having access to fuel cans to help refuel trucks for aiding and abetting a mischief. Um, the two gentlemen, well, one gentleman that I spoke to in person and the other gentleman that was a witness and arrested as well, were both released without charge they weren't even interviewed. And to me, that is a clear indicator that the, the harsh speech about terrorism and holding the city hostage is just a scare tactic. It's just rhetoric that is meant to induce fear and prevent people from supporting the movement. You know, the, to arrest someone for aiding and abetting mischief, I've never even heard of that in my career before. And I've arrested many people for mischief in my general duty career. It's, it's, that's a pretty weak, move on the on the behalf of the police services in my opinion um, and what I'm starting to see and hear is that police and other first responders they are waking up to the misleading narrative and we've all heard the rumors about you know a large percentage of police officers that are unwilling to continue enforcing these uh, this overreach, I have, I've, I have it on what I consider to be credible sources that there is a significant number of police officers that are refusing to come to work. Definitely that they are very unimpressed with the actions that were taken recently and that their morale is really starting to take a hit and many of them are becoming supportive of our cause. I guess uh, my message to them would be that we still believe in you. We still believe that you are the kind of people that will stand up for us 
and do the right thing if you are asked or ordered to do something that you believe to be unlawful and unconstitutional. I've, I've spoken before in previous interviews about my line in the sand and when it was crossed and when I decided to take a stand and speak out. I believe that that line is being crossed more and more with our police and first responders. And I just, I just want to say that all you have to do is say no. You don't even have to, you don't have to publicly speak out and, and jeopardize your career. Just say no, I, I will not do that. I don't believe that that's a lawful order. That's all you have to do. And if enough of us stand up with each other and they don't have their muscle or their enforcement arm, then this can all end and we can all get on with life. And further to that, I would just like to say this. My own experience within the RCMP, and I'm sure, and I've heard, had this conversation with many other members of different police services, is the top doesn't care about the front line. Well, I do. I care about all of you. That's why I am trying to work so hard to make sure that everyone stays safe. You will never, ever be expendable to me and the people I'm working with. So we've all been thrown under the bus, or we know of stories about getting thrown under the bus by senior management whenever it's a, to please a special interest group or their political masters. I will never do that to you, ever. I will stand with you. Please stand with me. That's all I have to say. Thank you. Thanks, Danny. Uh, my name's Tom Quiggin. Uh, my current role with the convoy is protective intelligence, uh, as well as daily intelligence reporting. By protective intelligence, we mean what the military would call force protection, looking after the people around you. So our primary goal is to provide protective intelligence for the truckers and their families. The secondary goal is to expand that out and provide protective intelligence for police, paramedics, firefighters, and those kinds of folks working with us. And then the third ring out is to provide in protective intelligence to the citizens of Ottawa and anyone else who happens to be visiting here. By way of background, in my earlier days, I was an airborne electronic sensor operator and seeking helicopters. Uh, we did uh, open ocean search and rescue and anti-submarine warfare, primarily in the North Atlantic. Uh, following that, I was an intelligence officer in the military. I spent time on the ground in all those wonderfully exciting places like Bosnia, Croatia, and Serbia, where they were having an actual insurrectionary war. Somewhere along the line in all of that, I was also in Northern Albania, Belarus, Russia, Eastern Ukraine, Poland, the United Kingdom, Florida, uh, Puerto Rico, uh, a whole bunch of other places. Following military service, I went directly to work for the Privy Council Office, uh, something called the Intelligence Assessment Secretariat. That is the intelligence body in Canada that does intelligence assessment directly for cabinet and the prime minister. I also assisted the Citizenship and Immigration Department in setting up their intelligence section, which dealt with war crimes, terrorism, etc. Following that, I worked for the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, specifically INSET, the Integrated National Security Enforcement Team. I did that for almost six years, and that, in that role, I was doing contract intelligence work primarily aimed at counterterrorism, also doing uh, intelligence work for G7, G8, G20, uh, the President, Bush, Bishop, those sorts of things. While working for the RCMP, I testified in the criminal court, specifically Ontario Superior Court, as a court expert in Canada's first post-9-11 terrorism case. 
In 2006-2007, I worked at Nanyang Tech University in Singapore on an intelligence research project uh, focused on horizon scanning and futures intelligence. Somewhere in the middle of all that, I managed to get a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in political science. I might also add I'm a court-qualified expert on terrorism in both the Ontario Superior Court and the Federal Court of Canada, and I have testified both for prosecution and defense in a variety of different cases. The Federal Court of Canada, just by way of note, also recognized my expertise in the reliability of intelligence as evidence in courts. This is the sim similar subject I taught to judges and special advocate lawyers at the Department of Justice. In other words, when they're dealing with intelligence material, how do they accept that as evidence in court, given that intelligence is somewhat different from uh, standard evidence? I've also published a number of books, including one on national security intelligence requirements, and I have multiple publications in multiple countries. I've spoken at conferences in Canada, the United Kingdom, USA, Singapore, Netherlands, Thailand, and others. Now, on to my specific point for today. Councillor Diane Deans of the Ottawa City Council is a lifelong political person with no actual real-world experience. Uh, she's been on city council for years in a variety of positions. Mayor Watson has much the same trajectory. He started out in university as a you know, political activist in a party at university years, and he spent most of his life as either a councillor, an MLA, or the mayor of Ottawa. Again, never had an actual kinetic job where he had to do something, get something done, meet a paycheck, meet an objective, that sort of thing. Both of these individuals, I would assess, are uniquely unqualified to make accusations about me and the people around me related to terrorism or insurrection. They spend their lives in the Ottawa bubble, and I would suggest the city of Ottawa is entirely removed from reality. And Anybody that's ever worked here knows that there's Parliament Hill, 10 kilometers this way, 10 kilometers that way. That's Canada, that, these folks. That's all they know about. So, let me just say that I've also been to a war on the ground, carrying a gun, doing intelligence work and force protection in a war that was an actual insurrection. There were several insurrections in the former Yugoslavia, which turned into one bloody long mess for about four years in which tens of thousands of people got killed. So I know what an insurrection looks like. This is not an insurrection. Between the two of us and many other team members, uh, we're keenly aware of those who advocate political violence, that is to say terrorism and insurrection. We believe that the statements coming from Councillor Diana Dean, Mayor Watson, and a multiplicity of others are part of a larger information operation designed to control the minds of Canadians. The campaign is also designed to provoke civil disobedience and violence. The only people advocating violence so far in this whole mess have been the Prime Minister, the Mayor, uh, the leader of the NDP party, people like Councillor Dean and a few others. The only people talking about violence, terrorism, insurrection, etc. are folks like them and Chief Stoley. Over here on our side, we are not advocating anything like that. And for Danny and I, if we saw anything resembling terrorism or insurrection, we'd be the first ones on the phone to talk about it. Now, it's also worth remembering, if you kind of go back into Google or something like that, when this pandemic first started, the Canadian Forces was caught, much to my shame, uh, doing information operations against Canadians, which was brought to a halt fairly quickly. But it shows you the government of Canada is perfectly willing to use its institutions, in some, including some of its more revered institutions, to do operations against Canadian citizens, which as a former soldier uh, and as an intelligence officer, frankly, I find revolting. 
To be clear, if myself, Danny, or anyone else in the convoy, and we have a number of other folks who are ex-military, ex-firefighters, paramedics, all those kinds of folks, if we have any information on political violence, the first phone call goes into the Integrated National Security Enforcement Team at the RCMP. The second phone call goes to the intelligence section of the Ottawa Police. So we would offer uh, a challenge to Councillor Dean, to Mayor Watson, to Prime Minister Trudeau, anyone else, if you want to come down and talk about terrorism, if you think you actually have evidence, if you think there is something going on which will create terrorism, please come down and see us. We need to hear your information. We would enjoy talking with you and we'll have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with you. One other thing drives me a little bit nuts and this is my final comment. Uh, a number of folks, including the Prime Minister, went on things, and I forget what we all are, but apparently we're racists, we're extremists, we're transphobic, we're homophobic, we're misogynistic, something else, and we're Islamophobic. We're science, so, science deniers. Ah, we're science deniers too, which is actually quite the opposite. The science is on the side of the truckers, and we got some of the best medical minds in the world here helping us. We are pro-science, we are pro-choice on vaccines. If you want to get a vaccine, good. No one here is going to tell you no. So, in closing, I would like to address Prime Minister Trudeau and others who accuse us of Islamophobia. Me, as an individual, testified in court on multiple occasions in defense of Muslims who were doing what we call DWI, driving while Islamic. A couple of these guys were chucked in jail, one of them for more than six years, on false, trumped-up charges of being sleeper cell jihadist and all this other crap, excuse my French. Um, I went into the court using my court expertise, my badge as a court expert, testified in federal court on multiple occasions, and pointed out to the court specifically saying, look, this guy, yeah, he's a Muslim guy, yeah, he might be a little, you know, doing some silly stuff, but he's not a terrorist, he's not a jihadist, he's not a sleeper cell, and we won the case. Interestingly enough, I don't remember the media meeting me outside of the courtroom after that one, because uh, it wasn't too good. Anyway, um, that kind of concludes... Uh, well, it might be a couple of rants, actually. Uh, but that concludes uh, our statement. And at this point, uh, questions, comments, anything at all? People on the live are just asking for your name again. Tom Quiggin, Q-U-I-G-G-I-N, at T-O-M-T-S-E-C, at Tom T. Uh, furthermore, on the Islamophobia front, when we were being labeled all of these terrible ist ending names, uh, we had a Muslim woman reach out to us specifically to counter the narrative because she knows it's completely false. And so what we did is we coordinated facilitating her and her son and, uh, and some others to come up to this, the main stage where the events have been taking place and they led the crowd in a Friday prayer. And I, I believe that that may be something that we're doing more of in the future to just to show that we are inclusive of everyone. Just, just for fun, follow my train of thought here for a second. The very first event, official event, of this convoy was the prayer service a week ago. A Iraqi-born Arab Shia Muslim, which is a bit of a rare event, directed Canadians and said they should attend the prayer service, which was opened by two clan mothers, one Dene clan, one Cree. The prayer service itself was run by a black evangelical French-speaking 
uh, pastor from Montreal and a white Mennonite pastor from Ontario. All of this is being done in support of Freedom Convoy 2022, and if you go back and look at the GoFundMe page, or what's left of it, you'll see that the two people that were kind of behind that initial Go GoFundMe thing were a Jewish truck driver and a Métis woman. So I would like to point out to Justin Trudeau, if you're so up on all your diversity, inclusion, and all that kind of stuff, we got you beat hand down, brother. The other thing I would like to say is Justin Trudeau has labeled us as like the fringe minority. So here's a little political science lesson to Justin Trudeau, who was speaking again in the House last night about Canadians gave him a mandate to get everybody vaccinated. Personally, I never saw the vaccine thing on the mandate, but let's forget that. Let's look at the actual math behind what goes on in this kind of thing. Here in Canada, we have Elections Canada. They have a voters list. So who can vote in Canada? Well, 100% of the people who are on the voters list can vote in Canada. During the last election, Justin Trudeau got 20% of all those people who are on the voters list. The other 80% of Canadians either didn't vote for the Liberal Party or they voted or they didn't vote at all. So Justin Trudeau got about 20% of all registered voters. So when he says he has a mandate to do X, Y, and Z and that we're the fringe minority, my point to him would be his government actually represents 20% of all registered voters in Canada. I think it's what 21.3 or something. Whereas the other 80% of people in Canada didn't vote for this guy. Could you comment on the first uh, Liberal Party member uh, <coughs> of Parliament now dissenting with the Prime Minister as of today, uh, basically saying that you cannot mix medical science and politics? I won't get into the, the Liberal Party thing and whatever, obviously that's an internal matter to them. We have been told by a number of folks that there's a lot of discontent in Parliament. Uh, not just amongst Conservatives, but amongst the NDPers and the Liberals as well. I think what you're seeing there is the first crack in the dam. Uh, we have a whole bunch of MPs who privately reached out to us, which is great. It would be nice if they publicly reached out to us. But we do think that like the police forces, like the intelligence services, and like the citizenry, there are a lot of folks who are just upset with the way the government's being run right now. And I think what this convoy has done is it has shone a light on the discontent. It's shone a light on the lack of freedom. It's shone a light on how our government is slowly moving everything to the center, where we have a near sort of totalitarian system in Canada now where everything runs through PMO or not at all. So I, I think my, my opinion is, and let me just say that's an opinion, uh, and not an expert opinion, uh, is that that's the first crack in the Liberal Dam. I, there's, a, there's a really intelligent Canadian former press professor who's famous for saying that opportunity lurks where responsibility has been abdicated. And I think perhaps, perhaps that what may be what we are seeing right now, as people are stepping up to take responsibility, or taking stepping up to take the opportunity where responsibility has been abdicated by the Prime Minister. Speaking of abdicating responsibility, uh, to be clear, I am per personally horrified by comments from Mayor Watson and his council accusing us of being insurrectionist terrorists and whatever all else. However, I'm not completely without empathy in the sense that I believe that Mayor Watson was thrown under the bus 
by Justin Trudeau. Justin Trudeau basically absconded and disappeared and left Mayor Watson standing there. Mm -hmm. uh, the City of Ottawa police are great at demonstrations. They're great at, you know, basic on-the-ground policing. But this movement is unique. We've never had a cross-Canada movement with this much behind it. And one of the problems they've got is it's a totally peaceful movement, which confuses them. You know, if this was an actual insurrection with people actually committing violence, they had this whole thing cleaned up in like three days. But I, I do feel, I don't want to say I feel sorry for Mayor Watson, because I think to a certain degree he's author of his own problems. But I do think he was thrown under the bus by the uh, Prime Minister. And with Mayor Watson having the day before said, you know, this thing needs to be shifted over to Justin Trudeau, I think that's Mayor Watson stating the obvious. Uh, the city of Ottawa has no capability, no leverage, no power, no authority to fix this uh, situation. And the fix of that situation lies across over there in Parliament. Any more questions? Yeah, I've got one, an interesting one that came up here. Um, so this is obviously from somebody who is against the idea of the Freedom Convoy, and it's how is this, has this been allowed to go on so long? Well, uh, we refer you back to the judge's decision in the injunction where the judge said Canadians have a right to mobility, assembly, freedom of speech, and peaceful protest. So the reality is it can carry on for an extended period of time because it's constitutionally enshrined and guaranteed by the Charter of Rights. And just, I'm not a lawyer, but I've, my political science side of me tells me this that says, look, there's probably some municipal bylaw somewhere that says I'm not allowed to park sideways in the street, and that's fine. But when it comes to a competition or a collision between the various layers of law, the Constitution and the Charter are supreme, and if there is a conflict between the two, this one rules. So the ability to assemble peacefully, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of movement, all of those, shall I, I'll use the term, outrank uh, some municipal bylaw that says, you know, you can't drive a truck down the street sideways or something like that. Any other questions? I've got a question. Virtually is. Um, maybe could you talk a little bit about the visual balance of power that we see, like in the fluctuation of the the police officers versus the uh, the uh, population of the crowd? Is, is that part of the tactical plan? Are Are you referring to like the the number of police services that are here and and the different types of units? Let's say what we've observed since we've been here is when there's more. When there's more people, there's a much larger uh, visual presence of police officers. Yeah, that's... So, can you talk about the optics of that? Is that designed to intimidate, or what? what is the, the design behind that, or the intent behind that? I, I, I don't have the sense that it's designed to intimidate. I mean, that might be a byproduct, but anytime we have a, a great, like a, a, a very large event in the downtown Ottawa area, Canada Day or any day or any event similar, they, we always have to bring in resources from all over the all over the province, sometimes even from other parts of Canada, in order to supplement the resources that are required. Because the city of Ottawa just doesn't have the manpower to be able to deal with something of this scale. And so it it's totally expected from my Point of view to see what we've been seeing like even with the barricading of roads ever since you know that 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 is yes it serves the purpose of preventing free access to all the roadways by some of the trucks but it's also designed for public safety especially when we have the giant crowds 
uh, of pedestrians in the downtown core. So all of the all of the different police services, all of the different units, like from the patrol officer to the public order unit to the tactical unit to the snipers on rooftops, that's I've seen that countless times for large scale events. When in regards to the fluctuation, like more crowd, more police, I think that's just that's just common sense. You need more police to deal with a larger size crowd, especially if there is a a police emergency, they're gonna need those resources to evacuate people away from the danger and to intervene and deal with the threat. Okay. Can I ask a follow-up question? Um, speaking of the human resources, we know that the local police here are working extremely long hours. Mm. So if you were to look at the time horizon, um, would they actually be burning out their officers or running out of human resources for this event? Well, we've, we've seen a lot of uh, messaging in media and social media regarding like an influx of officers being sworn in and potentially being brought into Ottawa. Um, there are potentially a number of reasons why that may be, but I get one of the simplest solutions or one of the simplest reasons in my mind is that they just need to rotate people out, right? People have been working all day, every day for long hours and it's not sustainable long term, right? So that, that, Logistically, it just makes sense to have people rotating in from other parts of the other parts of the other parts of the country. Yeah. One one final comment, maybe um, across the street from us is Parliament. Uh, the word Parliament comes from parler, uh, the old Norman French, and it means to speak. A Parliament, especially ours, a Westminster-style Parliament, is a place where we send representatives of the people to go and discuss the problems and the issues of the country, try and figure out how to run things. It is also the place where the citizens go to meet their representatives to speak with them. So I've testified in the Senate a couple of times. I've testified to House committees in the House of Commons. I've testified at the Air uh, India Royal Commission of Inquiry on behalf of the Air India families. And that is a part of the citizens going to the government to aid in the representation, which is this wild thing called democracy. Um, I think what we need right now is for our democracy to function and that is to say a whole bunch of citizens have gathered on the front lawn of Parliament here and we're demanding a hearing and we're not even getting invited to a House committee or a Senate committee or anything. So um, for those folks who say, why don't you guys leave or how long are you staying here? The answer is this is a simple fix. It, uh, it's a simple fix to a complex problem. Uh, it's a political problem. It needs a political solution. And the folks that hold that are the elected members of our Parliament. Thank you. All right, thank you everyone. We'll close there. Hello, and um, thanks for this opportunity for me to uh, present with Dr. Roger Hawkinson. Um, the purpose for our um, brief uh, discussion today is to try and set the table for what we had uh, proposed to the uh, government public health officials for this coming Friday at 1 p.m. at uh, the Marriott Hotel in the York Room and that's downtown Ottawa. And essentially, first of all, I think it's germane to give a brief background and Dr. Hodkinson will do the same of ourselves. So in terms of what is germane to this discussion, uh, my background training is in uh, epidemiology from the University of Toronto, uh, a master's degree there. Um, I also did a master's training at York University in Dongzhou, Ontario in health sciences. 
I went on to Oxford and did a graduate degree in uh, clinical epidemiology and evidence-based medicine um, under people like Dr. Carl Hennigan, etc., the giants in evidence-based medicine. I also did a small certificate program in biological warfare, bioterrorism at Johns Hopkins in how to weaponize a pathogen and uh, protect the city from uh, the use of biological weapons. And then I went on to um, McMaster University in Canada and I, I read for a doctorate and my postdoc with Dr. Gordon Guyatt, who is the founder of evidence-based medicine with Dr. David Sackett. Um, my doctorate was in clinical epidemiology and evidence-based medicine. So specific to this is uh, around mid of 2019, I was working for WHO and Pan American Health Washington DC, developing a training program for low and middle income countries on how to conduct basic research, evidence, etc. COVID read its head in Italy and China around January of 2020. WHO asked me to pivot my role to be their COVID pandemic advisor for everything to do with evidence and to message to the world as COVID began. Whilst I was doing that, um, I got communications from the United States government, the Trump administration, to join the administration in Washington as a senior COVID pandemic advisor to the Trump administration working out of Health and Human Services, which I did. Um, since leaving the United States government, I've been heavily involved in the groups that involves Dr. Hodkinson, Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. Harvey Reich, Dr. Zev Zelenko, Dr. Richard Oso, Dr. Ladapo, Dr. John Littell, Dr. Hodkinson, all of these giants in the field of early outpatient treatment because it became known very early that we can treat this, uh, this virus very early in the disease sequelae and prevent hospitalization and death by as much as 90%. So I'm, I'm a key member of that group. Uh, a lot of those publications, I am the key, the first author, if not the second. And um, also, um, even though I was in the Trump administration, I broke with the administration in terms of these vaccines. I became anti-vaccine for the children, that under no condition, none, still today, must any child in this world, including Canada, be in receipt of any of these COVID vaccines. So here's the issue that we face today. The issue is that this movement started by the truckers uh, was a very fascinating thing to sit back and look at initially, because you realize that the truckers were driven by their gut feelings and their common sense, because I have friends in Canada who are truckers and they began to tell me, you know, Paul, all of a sudden, I cannot even move around in Canada because I chose not to be vaccinated and I could want to exercise my natural immunity because remember, the evidence showed us that natural immunity was far superior than vaccinal immunity. So they were right. But the government, the public health officials in Canada, uh, implemented policies which constrained them. They couldn't go to the gym, the restaurant, they couldn't move around, they couldn't, they couldn't earn a living. And then you had these truckers approaching the border with Canada, the U.S. truckers who the government implemented this policy where um, truckers had to be vaccinated and there were no ways around that. And uh, that, that is a huge problem because Canada depends on the U.S. trucker in terms of our goods, for our groceries and for our survival. And uh, so that is a huge, huge problem. And um, the issue is this, you know, this is how I look at it. In another time, if the government of Canada was saying, you know, uh, we have a problem here with the virus 
and uh, we think that the vaccine mandate is credible and important and a must-have on the table. I, the reality is with the advent of Omicron, Omicron is so mild, it's highly infectious but so non-pathogenic that it offered the globe an exit off-ramp strategy. In other words, it suggested to us, Mueller's ratchet, that the virus did exactly what it was, we knew it was going to do, <coughs> which is over time, it would mutate milder and milder and milder to become highly infectious because it does not want to kill the host. It would arrive at an evolutionary dead end. Does not want to do that. So it wants to become mild, live in a symbiotic relationship with the host, not kill the host. And that's where we are. Omicron is this gift as Dr. Malone has said it. So the reality is today, the Canadian government has to accept this gift and understand that this is your exit strategy. And when we look at the data, the truth of the matter here is this. The trucker had this common sense feeling. And I was sitting back there, people like Hodkinson, etc. We were talking and said, but wait, these guys don't just have common sense. These guys actually have 100% with science behind them. Why? Because we know the data. We are very contemporary with the science. And we read the studies every day. We are part of a C-19 COVID group, United States and the Canadian version, where we interchange all of the science by the hour. So we actually know every study that is being put out, what the findings are, and we are updating our view and our understanding. And what is the understanding? Well, the understanding is that uh, the vaccines are non-sterilizing, and it's a very important point. Because when the Prime Minister yesterday spoke about our way out of this is to vaccinate and boosting, etc. I mean, the reality is I, I, I don't like to get into people's personalities and, and, and make aspersions of persons. So I'm not going into that. I'm not even getting into my own politics. But the Prime Minister is flat wrong. He is very misguided. He does not understand what he has said. And if his public health department, FAC and Health Canada are giving him these talking points, he's actually embarrassed himself. Because what he's saying to Canadians is, I took two vaccines. I even took the booster. And yet I got infected. So I'm telling you, you need to go and take the booster. Which is completely absurd nonsense. The reality is this. The vaccine is not working, and the vaccine carries risks. It, 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 it has failed on Omicron. It, it, it offers no protection to the upper areas. So for you to be pushing the society to vaccinate is wrong-sided. Uh, it does not comport with the existing data. We have data today from Israel that shows us that highest infections, yet highest hospitalizations, and even deaths now. We have data from Denmark. We have data from Sweden. We have the recent UK data published in Public Health England. We have the recent Scottish data, Public Health Scotland, that shows us clearly that the vaccinated person, especially double vaccinated and the triple vaccinated, are getting massively more infected than the unvaccinated person, harboring massive viral loads and transmitting. So for you to be trying to make a policy right now where you are saying the trucker can't come into the society unless they're vaccinated. The Canadian can't go about their life unless they're vaccinated. 
it does not fit with the science because the vaccine does not stop transmission and everything the trucker has done today and everything Hutchinson is going to talk about I could ever talk about or anyone turns on that simple statement these vaccines are non-sterilizing they do not sterilize the virus that means they do not stop infection and they do not stop transmission if the vaccine does not stop transmission you will never then be able to cut the chain of transmission and we will never get to herd immunity with these vaccines we need to take alternative approaches we have early treatment on deck we have the ability to strongly protect the elderly in society and we have the ability of massive numbers of natural immunity already in the population these vaccines have failed this cannot be the only procedure and policy out of this we have to come to the table we have to find an alternative route not based on these vaccines and we have this uh, uh, program we've invited dr howard Nuk, dr Teresa tam and dr shelley deeks senior people in the canadian public health official uh, public health domain we've asked them to a high level meeting dr byron brittle will be there he's one of the globe's top immunologists virologists you have dr roger hawkinson and you have myself we are willing to sit at the table in a very respectful embracing manner where we want to bring all of the evidence to the table and look at what they have look at what the canadian government has to keep these mandates because the mandates are absurd they are not needed anymore omicron has signaled the end of this pandemic and it is time it is time that the government declare the pandemic emergency over covid is is basically done and we need to move forward now in a more constructive way not punitive and right now i want to turn it over to dr Hawkinson. thank you dr alexander that was an excellent overview of what's happened and why we're in this mess um, i want to start off by saying that my uh, appearance is not intended to upstage dr alexander um, I'm, I'm dressed like this because I've just had five toenails removed um, by the College of American Pathologists who think that I am spreading misinformation. I have been a fellow of the College of American Pathologists for 40 years. I have been a foot soldier for organized medicine for 40 years. And I'd like to just elaborate on a few of my credentials to give you a sense of why I am so profoundly offended by what's going on. My first degree was from Cambridge in the UK. I was a scholar there. Um, I did my pathology training in, in Vancouver, British Columbia. Uh, I subsequently ended up being the president of the Pathology Association of Alberta, an assistant professor at the at the University of Alberta, uh, doing a lot of teaching for residents. Uh, I've run a big um, retail uh, outpatient laboratory, servicing uh, a large part of northern Alberta. I've been chairman of a subcommittee at the Royal College, setting the annual examination for pathology for pathology residents. I've been a laboratory inspector. I'm the chairman of an American biotechnology company doing DNA sequencing. What I'm trying to say is, first of all, I'm not an expert in anything, 
But what I bring to the table is an ability to bring the strings together and to express this for the lay public in ways that are so easy to understand. Having said all of that, um, what I would like to emphasize is that this never was a public health emergency. Never in a month of Sundays, as we say in Northern England. Never was, by the clear definition of a public health emergency, which is reduced to legislation, strict criteria for what constitutes a public health emergency. That was a lie. And that was the start of the problem, because that gave them the excuse of introducing anything into the general public that was experimental. Witness now the vaccine. But before the vaccine was introduced, we had all these ridiculous mandates, which everyone knew would fail. Everything that they did fail. I'm talking here about masks, about social distancing, about hand sanitizing, about travel bans, about lockdowns, and now about vaccines. Every single one of those interventions could have been predicted to fail because of existing science, and indeed have failed. The big issue is that they haven't just failed. They have created gigantic stress and and death globally, globally. A huge number of people have died because of the mandates, suicides, despair, bankruptcies, children losing so much of their essential uh, educational experiences, nonverbal communication, being afraid of people, suspicious of people, afraid to hug people, crossing the road if they see a person without wearing a mask. Children have suffered the brunt of this mad reaction that will be with them, sadly, for the rest of their lives. You can't do that to children and not expect a long-term response. So, going to the other issues that are obviously deficient in evidence-based medicine for effectiveness, as Dr. Alexander referred to, the vaccines. They were not needed because this never was a public health emergency. Everyone has said that this was nothing, not everyone, but pardon me, some of the most esteemed epidemiologists, Dr. Ionides out of Stanford, has said this is nothing more than a bad seasonal flu. The vaccines were not needed. They were introduced with great speed, producing a product that was being injected into people within nine months of the creation of the product. To give context for that, most ordinary vaccines produced by regular understood methodologies go through a five to ten year period of assessment. This was a brand new technology that was almost guaranteed to have serious complications, but that was introduced in such a short period of time for a reason that was unneeded. The vaccines have had terrible consequences, as I'm sure you're all aware. It's not just the fact that young boys and soccer players are dying of myocarditis. It's much deeper than that. 
Because the reason we do clinical trials is very simple. We don't know what we don't know. If we knew, we wouldn't do them. What we don't know is gigantic. We don't know, for example, as if this was trivial, we do not know the effect of these vaccines on the fertility of young girls. <coughs> we do know that the Pfizer submission to the Japanese authorities that was released showed that these vaccines selectively attack the ovaries of rats. Just maybe that should have been investigated before children started being injected. We don't know. Furthermore, we don't know what the vaccines are doing to pregnant women, the most protected class in society, pregnant women and their babies. We haven't a clue. Doesn't that scare the jeebus out of you? It does me, because there's a word out there historically that people have forgotten. The word is thalidomide. Thalidomide, brought to market for pregnant women and produce children with no arms and legs. We just don't know. We don't know whether or not these vaccines will encourage the emergence of cancer or produce uh, or, or, or evade the effective treatment of existing cancers. We don't know if there's going to be a tsunami of heart failure and dementia 10, 20 years from now because of the positive D-dimer test showing that there's diffuse blood coagulation taking place in every 60% of vaccinated people. We don't know so much, and yet it's going on, in, it's being injected into billions of people with absolutely no need, with a known terrible safety profile. Clearly, this, as Dr. Alexander has said, this vaccine program should stop immediately, as well as the vaccine passports. I read something today that exemplifies the stupidity of this. <laughs> this whole thing here in Ottawa is all about truckers not wanting to get vaccinated to cross the border. Well, guess what? A Canadian trucker can go from PEI to Vancouver unvaccinated. An American trucker can go from New York to Seattle, unvaccinated. And yet we're saying, you can't go north-south? Doesn't this strike you as absolutely crazy? To have something of this magnitude inflicted on Canada and the world? For that kind of stupidity? You don't have to know anything more than that. So, that's really what I want to say, except to emphasize again that this um, debate that we hope will take place with um, people who've inflicted this on the Canadian population is one o'clock on Friday at the Marriott Hotel downtown Ottawa in the York room. We hope that they will show with their evidence they've been asked to do that in court a number of times and refused to do so. We will have incredible authorities there Dr. Alexander, Dr. Byron Bridal, are ready and willing to publicly debate authorities, so-called, from Health Canada, to explain why 
they are doing this. We hope you'll attend, and thank you very much for listening. Um, do we have an opportunity to add anything more? Sure. Yeah. Look, I mean, I don't think Canadians have really had the opportunity, except from the CBC or Global News, etc., to get whatever information. And um, I think for the last two years, Canadians ha have been fed a lot of misinformation and bogus information. So there are a couple of things that I want to walk away being that I've stated this. From the beginning, from around April of 2020, <clears throat> we began to get the data coming in to the United States. And the United States mirrors Canada and vice versa. So I'm speaking about Canada here but I'm using the United States model. We were getting data coming up from all 50 states showing us that nowhere in America, including across the world, did any of the lockdowns work. The lockdowns actually harmed people catastrophically and caused thousands of deaths. There is not one example across the world where lockdowns worked. And one year ago, I published an op-ed in AIER under Jeff Tucker, then, that questioned the lockdowns and accumulated all of the science then to show it was a catastrophic failure. Johns Hopkins has just done a review to actually corroborate what I had stated one year ago. I also looked at all of the evidence on school closures. Nowhere in the entire world, not one place, have we found any study any example where any school closure worked. We killed, we killed thousands of American children with school closures, killed them. Nowhere in the world have we found any study, any evidence that mass mandates worked. They all failed. Everywhere you implemented them, infections, etc., went up. So everything about the pandemic response to in Canada was a failure. I'm trying to explain it to Canadians because now you're beginning to get people like Hodkinson, myself, Brittle, etc. We're getting some airtime to say what you've not heard. This entire pandemic response by the Public Health Agency of Canada, by Health Canada, by the provincial government of Ontario has been an abject failure. Nothing, as Hodkinson said, worked. And what was damaging is we had early treatment that we told them, we, we begged the Canadian government also, allow the doctors in Canada to use early treatment. You would keep the elderly, you would keep the vulnerable out of the hospital. We have 28-day mortality rising to about 40% once that elderly person touches the emergency room door. So we needed to use the early treatment to keep granny in the nursing home. That is the key role of early treatment. Early treatment functions within the two-week, 14-day window with viral replication to tamp it down and to clear the virus so that granny does not touch the emergency room door. Yet they did not listen. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people died in North America. And bring it right now to where we are with these vaccines. We told them one year ago, we looked at all of the epidemic curves and showed, particularly in the United States, that by the end of December, early January, they were already coming down flat. We needed no vaccine. Dr. Atkinson is not insane. 
I am saying it in words. We never needed a vaccine for this particular SARS-CoV-2. We could have managed this with proper protections of the elderly, with proper public service announcement in society, engaging in more healthier lifestyles. But we did not need to bring these vaccines. And we were very concerned because we were looking at this 15-year process that the vaccine developer Pfizer and Moderna, etc. needed. And they boiled this down into three, four months, five months. How could you tell me that you are looking at the safety phase of the trial and you could tell me that you have detected the proper safety signals when you did not follow it for the proper duration? You did not. You had to have cut corners. And what's the bottom line of what I'm saying? I am saying this. For a large proportion of people who take these vaccines, they appear to work well. But there's a massive number of people who these vaccines cause adverse events and many have died. Look at the CDC VAERS database, there are about 25,000 deaths. Look at the Europe Usual Vigilance database, there are about 40,000 deaths. Look at the UK yellow card system, the MHR yellow card system and the tens of thousands of deaths there. This vaccine causes death and it should not. We should not have a vaccine that death is so predictable. So this is why we are saying, hold on, hold on with these vaccines. And all of a sudden we have Omicron, which is almost one-tenth of a cold. And yet you have the prime minister and his public health officials forcing the public still to vaccinate with a vaccine that has failed. I need the public to understand this. If you get up today and go to the clinic tomorrow and take a shot, you are getting nothing from the vaccine within the context of Omicron. That's a very serious thing you should consider. The vaccine has failed. Failed. Therefore, these mandates are moot. There's no basis for the mandates. If the vaccinated and the unvaccinated are harboring similar viral loads, why would you mandate vaccine? It makes absolutely no sense. And the Canadian trucker is 100% correct. And the truckers across the world are correct now coalescing around them because the policy must fall. There is no scientific or medical basis other than power. This now is about power. There's no basis for it. Howard New or Theresa Tam cannot, I know they cannot on Friday, produce any science to show us why these mandates must remain in Canada. But we are going to go sitting there, very open, in a very respectful, very peaceful way, to have a high-level scientific discussion. Dr. Bridle will be there, top immunologist, Dr. Hopkinson, myself, and we're ready to go with them to try and flesh this out for Canadians to bring this stuff close. Do you want to finish? Thank you, Dr. Alexander. Um, there's a lot more that can be said. Yes. Um, I think we, we, we've given you enough information to document very clearly that this is the maddest episode in medical history, probably the maddest episode in human history in terms of the number of people that have been involved, from the tiniest village in India to right here in, in Ottawa. Everyone has been involved, either physically, mentally, or financially. It's at that scale of madness. So what I hope comes out of this 
is a realization that it only happened because democracy was under constant attack over a period of decades such that we, we accommodate to each and every restriction of our freedoms. And I, I call COVID a very fortunate event because we needed the point of the spear sticking at us to make us react to something that we might otherwise have still left alone for a number of years, which would have made the danger to democracy even greater. So there's a, there's a heck of a lot at stake right now. It's not just the truckers, as brave as they are, and thank God they stood, stood up. It's much more than the freedom of expression. It's the very future of democracy, and I'm not exaggerating here. It's the very future of democracy, a fragile institution. And while we are dithering and showing this lack of resolve, we're being watched. We're being watched by our future adversary, China. Russia is a bit player. China is watching this very, very closely. And they're seeing that we don't have the will to resolve our problems and therefore it encourages them. Their appetite is even greater than it was. They're coming for us. It's undeclared war. I'm not trying to be melodramatic here. It's so important that people realize that democracy is at stake and we need to stand up and resist and retake those freedoms that result in our ability to hug our grandchildren to go to funerals, to go to graduation ceremonies, to go to restaurants. Remember that time that I called facetiously BC before COVID? Remember how that was? Happy times, traveling anywhere you wanted, no restrictions. We want that time to come back in spades and enjoy life again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. So, uh, my name is Chris Scott. I'm on a cafe in a little town called 
500 people there. Uh, my cafe is tiny, there's only 30 seats, and it's, in the grand scheme of things, it's very insignificant. So that's who I am, just some insignificant guy standing up for what he believes in. So I have a couple questions for you. How many people here are from Ottawa? How many people are here for answers? That's a good one. Jerry Cans. I thought Jerry Cans were illegal. Jerry Cans, bring in the Jerry Cans. Okay. Yeah, there's something about Jerry Cans that someone else is going to announce it. Anyway, the reason why I asked if you're here for answers is because something I've heard from a lot of people is that they still don't know what to do. Like, we come to these rallies, uh, we talk to people, we hear speakers, and at the end of the day, people leave here, they go home, and they're like, well, what do I do now? Well, I plan to go to another rally, do I send an email to an MLA, what do I do? So that's what I'm going to offer you today is an answer to this problem. So this group of people here, we all are fairly like-minded in our idea that uh, as a unified Canada, we should be free to make our own choices over our own bodies, correct? Now, there is a very large group of people out there who disagree with us. There's a group of people who legitimately believe that the government's job is to keep us safe from everything on the planet to the point of putting us in little bubbles and not letting us go to a restaurant. I disagree. I believe that the government's job is to give us the tools, the resources, and the education that we need to make our own decisions. And that brings us to our job. Our job as people who know the truth regarding the mandates and what the government should be doing and that sort of thing, our job is to bring that message to those who disagree with us. I said yesterday that it's time that everybody starts meeting people where they're at. Trying to push me off the stage. We gotta meet people where they're at and start spreading this message. And it's not a message of, oh, don't get a vax, it's dangerous, or how dare you do this, or don't do this. The message is, we are free people, and we respect others' choices, and we want the same to be returned to us. That's it. This isn't about telling people, oh, you, you can't wear a mask when you go somewhere. I'm not going to tell somebody that. That's ridiculous. It's not about telling someone that they can't go get a vaccine. It's about getting, giving everybody the right and the freedom to make their own choices for themselves. And that's a big job, it really is. Because a lot of people, they aren't very receptive to, to this sort of thing. They don't want to hear, uh, they don't want to realize even that they may have bought into a narrative that was incorrect this entire time. That's a difficult thing because now you're dealing with uh, egos, right? It's very hard to accept the fact that you've made a wrong decision and over the last two years you've you blindly followed a government to the point of turning in your neighbors for having Thanksgiving dinner. That's a difficult pill to swallow. And it's our job to bring this message of unity and hope and freedom to our neighbors and our friends and our family in a way that they can actually digest. By starting, starting a conversation Pardon? 
yes, I think people people are capable to, to digest this stuff. But you have to start with some common ground. I had a conversation with a fella uh, just down the road a couple days ago from Ottawa who was very annoyed that this convoy is here and he was asking the police, why don't you arrest these people or get rid of this protest? And the police basically said, well, you know, that's a constitutionally protected right to protest in Canada. And so when he was done talking to the cop, I approached him and I said, hey, um, is there anything about this protest or this movement that you enjoy? Is there anything that you think is a benefit to you with these people being here? And he said, well, yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of fun and people seem to be enjoying themselves. I said, great. Now we have some common ground. We have a place to start a conversation. Starting a conversation with, how dare you infringe on my rights? That creates a defensive situation between two people. And that's not, we can't do that. We have to start with common ground and move on from there. And maybe the conversation doesn't go any further than, yeah, it's great that people are going for walks. Maybe that's as far as it goes and leave it there. And then next time you talk to that person, maybe there's a little bit more common ground that you can build on. Because as people hear this message, and as they see people living as free Canadians in unity, um, breaking down this narrative that we're all a bunch of violent white supremacists, <laughs> then they become open to more of a message. It's not an instant thing, it's not an overnight thing, it's not some magic phrase that you're going to say that makes everything better. It's building on a foundation, a solid foundation of hope, love, freedom, the things we're all here for, and moving on from there. So when you go home today, or when you continue to wander the streets shaking hands and smiling at people, I don't care what you do, remember that. As we go back into our communities, this message has to go with us, but it has to go the right way. And once we start to do that, once we start to spread this message out of our bubble here, because we're in a bit of a bubble, we start to we start to inject hope and the idea of freedom, the idea of what Canada is supposed to be. We bring that back to our communities, and slowly things will change. So I'm already losing my voice again. But in closing. I just want to say thank you to every one of you that have been coming out to this thing or the ones that have just joined. I see a lot of new faces out here. Um, I see some people in this crowd that were actually adversarial a few days ago. And now they're here and they're listening. And they're trying to understand what's happening here. So thank you. Thank you all for, for doing this and being peaceful and kind and spreading your smile. Okay, so I'm going to uh, give up the microphone to this lovely lady here, and she has an announcement for you. But please, if you don't remember anything else from today or from what I said, just remember that every one of you is a freedom ambassador, and you have jobs to do. And your job right now is likely the most important job in Canada.
my goodness. So, if anyone's wondering what the jerry cans are all about, uh, the City of Ottawa and the Ottawa Police Service decided that they were going to cut off the truckers' fuel supply and make it an offense to be carrying a fuel can and supplying the truckers. So, it appears as, there, as though there are hundreds and hundreds of people roaming the streets of Ottawa with jerry cans. Every day we flood the city with jerry cans. Beth Ann, but do do we need more jerry cans? If everybody carries one, then they cannot stop us all. Everyone carries. But should, but should we ask people to bring more? Like not everybody has one. Yeah, so we need more jerry cans. We need more jerry cans. We need more. Does anyone know? Okay, so there you have it. And apparently we need more jerry cans in Ottawa, so. If you don't have anything better to do, why not go pick up a couple hundred jerry cans and bring them down to Ottawa? Sounds like fun to me. Hello everybody, it's Chris here from the Whistle Stop Cafe in Mirror, Alberta. And I am not in Mirror, Alberta, and neither is... Carrie, from not at the Whistle Stop Cafe, because I am in Alberta. Wait a minute. Wait, I'm in the RIP program that is not, or not happening anymore as of midnight tonight. Was that a good segue? That was the worst segue in the history of segues. What's a segue? Yes. I thought that's what the mall cops drove. Yes, it is. Mall Mr. Mall Cop. Okay, just right, right to the heart of the matter. Right to the... Okay. Meat and potatoes. So yes, we are not in Mirror, Alberta. We're in Ottawa, Ontario, um, enjoying this peaceful demonstration, a monumentous moment with an excellent movement. Sure. It's a great time to be in Ottawa. There's lots of people here, lots of stuff going on. Um, the entire town is abuzz with the Freedom Convoy 2022, and we're really enjoying it. On the news today, uh, our Premier in Alberta, Premier Jason Kenney, the most spineless politician in Canada. Fear Kenny. Fear Kenny. He announced that Alberta is rolling back some of their COVID restrictions. Uh, one of them being the REP program, which for those of you who don't know, is the Restrictions Exemption Program. Now, the Restrictions Exemption Program is nothing more than a VAX pass by another name. But in Alberta, they chose to do it a little bit differently. Instead of the government saying, you have to have a passport to do this, the government said, 
to people like me who own businesses, you can't operate your business unless you make people show you their papers in order to patronize your establishment. So um, I did say when they were talking about that, that I would never ever ask anybody for their papers to come in my restaurant and we haven't. So our dining room has been closed for dine-in services. Have they? Unless you're a part owner. Unless you're a part owner. Um, since the REP program came into place. However, tonight at midnight, that program is gone. So, the Whistle Stop Cafe in Mir, Alberta will be fully semi-automatically open tomorrow. Um, we're not quite done our little bit of renovations, but it shouldn't impact the uh, capacity or anything like that too, too terribly much. And we're really excited to have people back in the restaurant. I am so excited. I was just gonna mention that you're excited about people having in your restaurant. Yes. There are other restaurants that were only open for takeout and now they could be, in theory, blasted with people tomorrow because they're all excited about getting out, going to eat and, and the restaurants wouldn't have ordered enough food or drinks for them. Yes, so no matter where you go to enjoy your dining out experience, be patient because a lot of these places they're not gonna have their their liquor stocked up, they're gonna be short on some inventory, uh, probably short on staff. Guaranteed they're gonna be short on staff. Yes. So it's not gonna be like we're rewinding a few months and everything is back to normal. Or wait, was it a few months, a couple years, three years? It's not like we're going back to normal immediately. Yes, you can go sit in a restaurant. No, it's not gonna be exactly the same for a few weeks until these businesses get kind of back in the groove. Um, I would like to point out that Carrie actually did have a, uh, restaurant. a, a restaurant, lounge, bar yeah. Yeah. Um, that that was opened a few weeks prior to the original COVID restrictions. That's right, exactly. And I'll let Carrie tell you about that because that's a story that I think you should hear. That's a, that's a bit of a story. So we actually opened uh, Outlaw's Tap House and Bar on February 28th of 2020. And uh, COVID hit around March 13th and everything was shut down March 17th. So we were open for 19 days. And then if you remember the whole story, how Alberta opened and then closed and then opened and closed, plexiglass, rubber gloves, the whole scenario all the way through. Eventually it came down to December 13th to February 8th, everyone was closed because that was another two weeks to flatten the curve. That's when you opened. You opened January, January 21st. 21st. Somewhere in there. And we opened February 8th, and when we opened, um, again, with all that kerfuffle that was going on, we decided mask uh, exemptions was going to be our hill that we would die on. And the reason with that was that uh, patrons were allowed to come in with mask exemptions, but staff weren't supposed to be having mask exemptions. But my business partner, Marla, who bought the, uh, the restaurant originally, she, um, she didn't know she could wear a mask or couldn't wear a mask. And uh, when she was forced to not wear a mask, and, uh, or forced to wear a mask, uh, she couldn't. So instead of working up front in the bar, she ended up working in the back and trying to do whatever she could. And then when we opened up February 8th, that was it. It was masks, you had to wear a mask, and you also had to do contact tracing. And again, the issue with that was we had staff who um, also couldn't wear masks. And uh, so if the staff can't wear masks, but patrons can wear masks, where's, what's, what's the there, Yeah, there was no logic. So we said, nope, uh, anybody can, uh, if you've got a mask exemption, that's fine, come on in. 
and um, and we were successful for a few days because that's when Alberta Health Services came in and decided that that wasn't kosher. So they came in and issued us a warning. So we had to go back and file paperwork, blah, blah, blah. And then two weeks later, they issued us a closure notice and the gang suppression unit came in because I looked like such a terrorist at that time, a, fast, a mask wearing terrorist. At that yes, time. violent extremist. And uh, so they basically shut us down uh, or tried to shut us down. We stayed open. And uh, over the next couple of days, they went back to HS and got our food handling, food handling permit removed. Uh, City of Calgary took away our business license. The liquor license. Uh, liquor license, Alberta Gaming, yeah, uh, liquor and there's another C word I would say, but I, I'm not going to say that. Oh, yeah, that's different. But uh, either way, I, yeah, we we protested in front of their uh, AGLC building. And, I was there. Uh, you were there. It was the first day I met you. You look taller though. And then, um, and then when we finally thought we would be able to go forward and uh, and, and open, uh, the government press put pressure on our landlord, and the landlord met with Marla and myself and basically said, "We've had enough. Uh, please give us your keys." And that's so the, way it was. the city, yeah, AHS, yeah, yeah, AGLC, yeah. Didn't the fire chief have something to well, that say I, over there? I, I don't. Something to do with code or whatever. No. But anyway, multiple authorities yeah. actually conspired yes. to come up with a plan yeah. to force your business to close. Yeah. So And really, it was just over masks, right? And so that was a stepping stone to everything else that's happened since. Yeah, so there's people that have asked, um, how did I meet Kerry? Where does Kerry fit in? And that's where Kerry fits in. So he's been significantly impacted by the COVID restrictions themselves, as has Marla, as have tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people across Canada. So he really, when you, you know, you, you see us quipping back and forth and kind of, you know, just having a good time and making fun of some of the things that are going on and try to get some information out. Um, he's very passionate about this because he's seen what the government can do to a person or their business or their families or whatever if they don't agree with them. And especially if they speak out against rules that didn't make yeah. any sense in the first place. So here's another scenario. So um, I also own a, a jukebox and arcade games company. And as of November uh, 26th of 2020, the government also decided that you couldn't touch VLTs. And because you couldn't touch VLTs, you also couldn't play pool, you couldn't play arcade games, you can touch the jukebox or do anything like that. No contact sports. No contact at all. And again, that was supposed to be just for a couple of weeks. That that date was lifted June, uh, <coughs> June 15th of 2021. So that was seven months without, for me, any revenue coming in from my games, jukebox, no entertainment. I also book uh, musicians, uh, I do karaoke. All of that stuff was stripped right until June 15th. And then, if you remember, July 1st, Fiora Kenny said, open for summer. But not really open for summer, kind of open for whatever amount of time that we're going to tell you. Yeah, open whatever, for some, yeah. whatever they feel. Yeah. And then open until open, flu season. Open until September, and that's when everything changed. So, yeah. So that's kind of where that fits in. And that's why when I was reading the, <coughs> uh, or listening to uh, Kenny spew about the uh, restrictions exemption program, I was happy about it, but I knew that there was going to be 
some caveats to it, and sure enough, there is. So right away, yeah, REP is good, but you still can't do everything else. You can't go in and play Golden Tea. You can't go in and play pool with your friends. You probably can't even watch TV because watching TV is too loud. And there might be a remote control. Yeah, can't touch remote controls. So basically, you can, you can will allow you the opportunity to go into a restaurant, but you probably can't have any fun, and that's it. I think it's fun to eat chicken wings. Especially when you're all missing. Yep. So, likewise, there's capacity limits in large facilities and entertainment venues of 500 plus, and, uh, and, but food and beverages now can be allowed in seats. So if you remember the World Juniors that were in uh, Red Deer and um, Edmonton, but they got cancelled. Mm -hmm. But for the first few games, you could go in and you could eat popcorn. And then they decided, no, you can't eat popcorn. Which and tanked the ticket sales. Yes, and now you can't, you couldn't go in, so they canceled the entire thing. But now they'll allow you to go back into a venue and have popcorn, I think, and a drink. Popcorn is safe. Popcorn is safe. Maybe chips. Maybe chicken wings. Can you eat chicken wings? I, I would be upset if you couldn't. So that's kind of where, again, this whole thing falls apart, where they're, they're picking into certain things. Uh, capacity limits for locations not covered under their RAP, RAP program are removed. It's just this juggling of numbers of, you know, like, we'll, let, we'll kind of give you some, some ability to go in. You can still go in with uh, up to 10 of your friends, but you can't go in with 11. That 11th person has to go sit by themselves. And uh, no mingling between tables. And it seems illogical and unreasonable, and it's because it is. It has nothing to do with logic, reason, science, data, scientists, or anything like that. Um, these rules are purely 100% political calculations um, to keep the most people happy as they can. Yeah. So if it was about health and safety and logic and common sense, all the mandates and restrictions would be gone. Um, we've tried really hard to uh, get some doctors and some scientists on my Facebook page tell you how the science supports what the truckers are saying, which is end the mandates now. Um, so from a logic and common sense point of view, the science supports the mandates ending. However, politics doesn't. And the reason for that is there are still thousands upon thousands of people, and I know they're just a small fringe minority, but I think their views are acceptable. Maybe. To me. Acceptable. Yes. These people believe, these people, I did it again. Those people, yeah, those people believe that the government should have more restrictions and more mandates and that they have to be kept safe. And the only way to do that is to force other people to do things that are completely unreasonable. So what the Alberta government has done, and not because they were intending to do it in the first place and not because of case counts, not because of hospitalizations, not because of ICU numbers, because the entire country is peacefully demonstrating, saying, and the mandates. Uh, Alberta has some extremely significant protests going on all throughout the week and especially on the weekends. Yes. Like, it's big. Everybody is taking it to the streets. They're telling the government, enough is enough. We're done. Drop the mandate. So, the UCP came up with this plan. Well, we're going to... Let's throw them a bone. We're going to get rid of the REP program because then Chris will be happy and he'll come back from Ottawa and he'll stop um, being a violent uh, white supremacist in Ottawa. And Trudeau. Kenny or Trudeau will help Kenny become the next prime minister. Okay. 
So what they've done is they said they gave it through us a bone, no more REP program, but they left all the other restrictions in place because what they're doing is they're trying to make as many people comfortable as they can, regardless of what the science, regardless of what the data says. It's political posturing at its finest. And I've said this before, I'll say it again. Jason Kenney is very similar to Justin Trudeau and that if the polls tell him that, um, you know, killing a kitten on live TV would get him more votes, he would do that. Yes. Because they don't care about you or your health or anything like that. They care about winning the next election. And that's what the UCP government is doing. They have a plan in place to try and keep the most people appeased so they have the best chance of winning the next election. And I'm not falling for it. Um, I'm going to still continue to push to have Jason Kenney removed as the leader of the UCP, even though I don't really think that will make a huge difference, except that it's going to show our politicians that if they're not doing the right thing and and acting on our in our best interest, they're gone. Um, so I, I'm going to continue pushing for that. I'm going to continue with my lawsuit against the Alberta government, AHS, uh, and the Chief Medical Officer of Health over the restrictions and the mandates and the way they've affected Albertans. And a reminder here is I'm not doing that, I'm not telling the government I'm suing you because of this and I want a bunch of money. I'm suing the government and I'm asking the court to make the government say publicly that they shouldn't have done this to us in the first place. So that when you go to court because you lost your restaurant or you lost your restaurant, you have that. And now you can say to the judge, there was a ruling and the government said they shouldn't have done this. And now I want my remedy. So the remedy is not for me, the remedy is for everybody in Alberta. And I'm not going to stop that because they're throwing us a bone by saying the REP program is gone. And that's not just for restaurants, that's for gyms or any... any oh, right, yes. Retail or anything that's... Yeah, possible. anywhere that you would have had to show your papers, you no longer have to show your papers. Yeah. Except at the board, you have to show a passport. Yes, and that's another argument. But only if you're vaccinated. That's right. Somebody should protest that. Wait a minute, with we're doing trucks, that in Ottawa. Trucks. Yes. So on that note, um, there's I was, some... I was, okay. No, go ahead. I was going to just say one of the last things about the RIP program is mandatory masking removed for children 12 and under in all settings as of February 14th. So if you're, if you're 12 and under and you're a dancer or you play hockey, then you don't need to be wearing a mask as of the 14th. What about all the kids that were really good at their sports and were going to be moving up along the ranks, but needed a vax to continue. Well, that doesn't matter because they're uh, they're, they're only twelve. Now. Oh yes, but I'm talking about um, like the the older kids yes. who haven't been able to continue with their sports because yes of the mandates. That's right. I wonder how that's going to affect them. Well, I guess we have to look at step two. Okay, well, let's... But still, step one is children and youth in schools for any age as of February 14th. So I think that's a win, even though it should have been as of today. But as of yeah. Valentine's Day, then you can go, they can hand out their Valentines to all their kids, all their friends, and, and they actually know who they are because they can see who they are because they're not wearing masks. They had to do that yeah. because now even the students in the schools are protesting. Yes. There's... there's Schools in Alberta that the, the, the students are organizing walkouts. Yeah. Especially after the schools uh, had locked them in the boot room in yes. the school yeah, because they refused true. to wear face coverings. That was wild. And if you haven't seen it, check it out. It's in the news and on all sorts of Facebook pages across Alberta.
So what I was going to say is there's people that have been asking me, oh, this is great. Your restaurant is open now. You can come back and uh, get back to work. Well, I'd love to, but there's a bigger problem here. And the bigger problem is that the federal government still hasn't backed down on their mandates. So despite what um, Trudeau and his critics say that most of that stuff is provincial and it has nothing to do with federal, but there's a lot of stuff that does federal. Anything? Yeah, we have 450,000 federal workers yeah. in Canada year round, yeah. another 450,000 at tax time. Yeah. We have, I don't know how many federally regulated transport employees, exactly. mail carriers, yeah. policemen, military, all of these men and women are still subject to the mandates and to a, uh, a vax demand. Yes, and that's what—that's why we're doing this this thing that we're doing here. So I'm not going to be coming home to get back to work at my restaurant, with a restaurant which I would love to do. Um, I'm really excited to be back there and seeing people actually enjoying coffee in the morning at my restaurant. I'm going to stay here and continue to stand with the truckers um, and push back against these federal mandates because I've realized <clears throat> over the last little while that there's a lot of times in my life where I, stood, I should have stood up for people and I didn't because it didn't affect me. And now what's affected me the most, which is the RIP program, no longer affects me, but I'm still going to stand with these folks because it's the right thing to do and I would encourage you to do the same thing. So, so, getting back to the RIP, can I go back to that? Because I'm so excited about the RIP. Oh, I love the RIP. Okay, RIP. Uh, step two uh, is March 1st. So, no more RIP, but um, any remaining school requirements are removed. For example, kindergarten to grade six cohorting. I didn't even know that that was a thing. Cohorting in bubbles? Did you know that? Probably like don't. Bubbles Car Wash? No, no. Like bubble, like you gotta be in. Like that movie with that no. sick kid? No, like with, when you're in a bubble with other friends. I've never been in a bubble. Never been in a bubble with other friends. We used to blow spit bubbles. You, you don't get. You don't get a bunch. I don't get. So that's good. Um, capacity of all large venues and entertainment venues are lifted, so now we can go and watch a Flames game. If I wasn't boycotting. No, no, I'm not going to watch a Flames game. No. Uh, indoor and outdoor social gathering li limits lifted, so yes, you can go outside and inside, you can be outside, and again, it's totally up to you, but you could be outside walking your dog with a mask, or not. Now, it's up to you, it's your totally choice. To, that's the whole point why we're here. Freedom, freedom of choice, walk, walk a dog with a mask. Let's go back to the flames thing for a second. I was, I was going to do a joke with that. Okay, go ahead. Okay, I was going to say, because then, you know, wearing a mask, and you don't have a bag, so you can take your mask off, and you can pick up. That would be a great way for people to say these masks are shit, yeah. and I'm done. There you take your dog for a walk, wear your mask. If you're ready to take it off, clean up after your dog with your mask. Excellent. Perfect. Yes, great. Now what were you saying? Flames game. Yes. <clears throat> At this point, if I wanted to do something fun with my family, um, and I have taken them to Oilers games before because I don't never did Flames games, I did Oilers games. Yeah. By the time it was all said and done, you bought, you had your four or five tickets, um, a beer, uh, a beer for each of the kids. Just kidding. Uh, some, you know, some popcorn or whatever. Parking in Edmonton, yeah. fuel up there, fuel back. It's a thousand dollars. Yes. To take your family oh, to hockey. Absolutely. A thousand dollars. It's yeah. very expensive. So at this point, if I wanted to do something like that with my family, 
I would find out what community sports teams I had around me, yeah. and maybe I would go to like a kids hockey game that's, and throw five hundred bucks in the fundraiser thing. That's amazing. Go watch the kids play; it's yeah. way more entertaining. Yeah, and uh, you're doing something to help out the kids in the community, yeah. and you're not supporting discriminatory hockey teams. So that was that's Alberta, and went, and then so step step one. REP effect starts tonight. The other stuff starts the 14th of February. And then uh, step two is March 1st. Step three is whenever they decide that they will do it. But I also wanted to touch on the other province that uh, decided to do stuff, and that is Saskatchewan. All my Saskatchewan peeps, there you go. Go Rough Riders. Is that the team? I think so. So they uh, they came out with their own mandates uh, and and changes. Oh, you know what? This is the wrong page. <coughs> anyway, so they're very similar. Uh, I think theirs is. Uh, I will have to look back in my notes here. first. Just not on the. Theirs are a week later, aren't they? There is. I think it is. That is the way it is. Which so. is strange because Scott Moe was one of the first ones to start speaking any kind of common sense about this. Yeah. yeah. And that was like three weeks ago. That's right. No, I lost it. I was looking at too many things. Do you, but, do you remember? But, uh, no, it's not going to happen. I need my nose. But either way, it's like within a week or so. So good old Saskatchewan, and they're kind of doing the same thing. Getting back to the rest of the provinces, so I've got a nephew that plays hockey in Manitoba that when I drive back to uh, Manitoba, I'd like to go and see him play. Okay. It's because it's Manitoba. And they are not doing this. There's still masks, and still you need a QR code to go in to see um, kids play hockey. Does Jagmeet Singh call the shots in Uh I think they're NDP, aren't they? Is it provincial NDP? I think so. Uh, and I know that Jagmeet Singh is not the premier of Manitoba, but the there are no lines between the provincial and federal NDP. They're all the same organization. They just happen to run provincially and federally. Yeah. So really, yes, um, Jagmeet Singh would have a very, very strong voice within uh, political NDP uh, activities. True. Yeah. So people are actually saying Saskatchewan is the 14th and the 20th. So similar to what we are, first is the 14th and the uh, second step is on the 20th. So. so the major difference between Alberta and Saskatchewan is that Alberta has a raging revolt demanding that their premier be removed from power. Yes. And Saskatchewan Versus, doesn't. That's right. So that's right. Alberta, Premier Kenny, is yeah. scrambling desperately to retain any shred of hope he has in maintaining power in Alberta. Yeah. And in Saskatchewan, Scott Moe is kind of comfortable, doesn't have to be too drastic, can kind of just, you know. That's right. Yeah. All politics, nothing to do with. So a very good, very good question, uh, and a few people have asked it. Alberta QR, QR's codes will continue, and yes, as far well, no, voluntarily. Well, in, you know, well, the point is, is <laughs> depending on how you want to get into this, uh, the QR codes contain more than just the medical information. We don't know exactly what they contain because mm -hmm. they're a really big matrix of dots, and they can store a whole bunch of information in that, right? And so we uh, we only know that the RIP is going to be um, lifted, but the QR codes 
may be brought in at a certain time or whatever, but as of right now, no. In theory, you don't have to show your QR code at all. I don't think so. What, in the future, for what though? Well, I don't know. It depends on what they decide to do after March 1st or whatever. But the Premier is saying that we have to treat or learn to live with COVID and treat it as endemic. Just like Dana Henshaw did last year. Yeah. I totally trust them. You wink as well as I do. I do. Wow. So yeah, the QR code is going to continue on a voluntary basis. Um, I think it would be probably not a great business model to continue with that because not only is it, uh, I'm not even going to get into it. I can't see any, how any business would want to continue with it. If they do, they're likely going to lose a major portion of their business. Yeah. But this time, it's going to be the other folks. Yes. So yes, lots of interesting things happening, lots of changes occurring across the country, but still, where is Justin Trudeau? I haven't seen him. Actually, no. I think he was in the House of Commons. Was he? I, I think I saw a, a giant cardboard cut out of him. Really? Yeah, I think so. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. It blows my mind that something this, this big, this important is happening in Canada and the leader of the country is nowhere to be found. But I guess I could kind of understand he maybe want to hide with his tail between his legs because he's getting absolutely lambasted by media all over the globe. Yeah. Because they're watching. The world is watching what's going on in Canada and they're waiting to see what happens. They're waiting to see how this is resolved because this is something that very few countries maybe have had to deal with. Mm -hmm. I guess there's been there's been issues in the past where um, the citizens of the country have unified in order to achieve a, 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 a goal, but Canada hasn't seen this. Have we? Has there been anything like this in Canada? No. Not in my lifetime, and I'm 26. Yeah. I'm the same age. Yeah, same age. Weird. Yeah. Boggles my mind. You would think that the leader would be making himself available. And as uh, Tom pointed out today in that press release, yes. that building, that building, Parliament, um, it actually means like a place to speak, mm -hmm. like where you, where you speak. It's it's there so that Canadians can access their elected representatives, their MPs, and and a place where their MPs can go and speak on their behalf in in uh, in Parliament. And there's a wall around. People are saying Justin Trudeau was in Parliament today, but he walked he out. He walked was out? He? Yeah. Like, walked out of the... That's what that's what the comments are saying, yeah. Wow, okay. we gotta look into that. Yeah, we will. I couldn't even smell that he was here. Yeah. Interesting. And he so, couldn't even poke his head out the front door or look down from the clock tower. Maybe he did. Maybe he looked down on us. Maybe, Maybe he, he did. Maybe he saw me DJing. He's been looking down on us ever since he got elected. Mm -hmm. His father taught him to do that. <laughs> because he knows that he's one of the animals that are more equal than the others. Animal Farm reference. What's Animal Farm? You bring that up a lot. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. So anyway, lots of stuff going on. Uh, how about the convoy? Let's talk about the convoy. Yes, okay. Uh, there's so much to talk about. Yeah. Jerry cans is a big thing. Yeah, it's been bring your jerry can to work week for quite a while. Um, I posted a video earlier of hundreds of people wandering around carrying empty jerry cans because 
the city of Ottawa in uh, in um, what do you call it in in conspiring with the Ottawa Chief of Police uh, have decided that it is now illegal to put fuel in a vehicle using a jerry can if you're part of a convoy if you're part of the small fringe minority so the people of Ottawa in particular have really stepped up and they've been coming by and dropping off jerry cans or just coming to visit and everywhere they go, they carry jerry cans. There's little kids carrying jerry cans there were, all over the place. There were 200 jerry cans dropped off in front of the stage today. It is a sea <laughs> of jerry cans in this town. So I, I, I don't feel bad for the police. I think it's kind of like maybe they could consider it like some sort of a fun game. Yeah. Which jerry cans are full? Which of these normal law-abiding citizens are uh, criminals because the mayor of Ottawa says they are and they don't want uh, truckers to stay warm in the trucks? Fun game. So if you're in and around the Ottawa area, um, why not bring a jerry can down, empty or full? It's fun for the kids. It's fun for the kids. And uh, just come come and enjoy the music and the fellowship and the dancing in the streets and the bounce. Are the bounce castles still? I think they were. Yeah, they're bounce. They're gone? Yeah. Oh. They're gone. Well, maybe it's a weekend thing. When yeah, you get them back. I think so. This weekend is going to be a blast. I'm not going to say that anymore. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Um, it's all about words. What's going on with the music? We have bands coming in on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And uh, I think Saturday it goes from 11 until 10 o'clock at night. Friday, Saturday. Sunday is 11 till 8. And we've got, uh, like I said, bands. I can't really name the bands, but. Um, We've also got fiddle players. We've got uh, two oh, local talent. Local talent. Uh, we had uh, comedians today. We had uh, um, what was the name? Doctor Friendly and Nurse something. It was a really fun, funny skit. Uh, total parody of uh, COVID and, and and being a doctor. It was pretty fun. So we've got entertainment up on the stage and uh, lots of music uh, and lots of fun speeches. We've had some excellent speakers up there, Dr. Roger Hodkinson, uh, Dr. Paul, Paul Alexander. We've had um, uh, a couple of pre, uh, previous MPs, but actually I forget their names. Well, yeah. Maxime Bernier has been up. Max, Randy yeah. Hillier has been up, and he's That's a true. sitting MP. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So there's there's a lot of information being brought out, and a lot of um, um, just. Heartwarming stories and uh, and and stuff that will make you you cry too in, in terms of how it's it's affected everybody. Everybody's got a story, and that's kind of what we've been asking people: is if you're a local uh, person from Ontario. Although I mean, you could be anywhere from across the country. We've actually had uh, a family coming from Kelowna, and they were I'm going to say garlic farmers, and they came in and told us this, their story of how uh, it affected them and they decided to pack up their five kids so it was seven seven of them in the van and they drove from Kelowna directly Whoa. to here and uh, told stories on the stage uh, about why they, they why they were standing for what they were, were doing and uh, and even today we had uh, Benita Peterson from um, All Fired Up right she was All Fired Up for Freedom, All Fired Up for Freedom. And uh, so she was up reading some uh, some stories about there was an Ottawa resident who put it, uh, a letter out to the paper, and I don't know what paper it is, but it, you can find it fairly easy. 
uh, just look up under, under Ottawa resident letter produce or something like that. And it'll come up and it's this really long uh, letter about, I live just on Kent Avenue or Kent Street, which is where we're parked. Can we say where we're parked? I think we have. So we're on Kent Street and uh, Arthur. And Albert. Um, Albert. Some, some guys named with an A. And uh, they, this resident lives right there and, uh, you know, afraid being at home watching mainstream media. There was a name. It was a, like a, a blog almost. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, so they decided to go check it out for themselves. So a Night with the Untouchables. Yeah. That's what it's called. Is it? Yes. Really? Yeah. Maybe a Night they, with the Untouchables. You just changed the words for it yeah. to be audible. And uh, so they went down, and um, for them it was intimidating to be walking amongst all the, uh, the big trucks, because there is a lot of trucks, and if you're not used to being around trucks, they're, they look like big transformers, which is exactly what the, the, the line in the letter said. And uh, anyways, went on about, I found this couple and engaged in conversation about why you were there. No conspiracy, it was just about you know, ending the mandates. And they had story after story after story after story of that. And the end of the story was that uh, like they, they can't believe that everyone was so nice and how much fun it is to be out there and the camaraderie that's going on. And, it's very important. And I think that's what mainstream media is missing because even in that, article, that letter it says um, nowhere has any mainstream media walked in and amongst the truckers and asked them their opinion. It's always asking people what they think of the of the truck. Yeah, and they try, or they try and find somebody that's obviously a little bit, a little unhinged. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, not that there's anything wrong with being unhinged. Yeah. I mean, I, my, I, I love my, I love my mother-in-law to death. But anyway, <laughs> but she's unhinged. Sorry, Marsha. I'm just kidding. She's not unhinged. Yeah. She's gonna, yeah. she's gonna come and hinge on me for that. And someone's actually posted the uh, the story. So thank you so much for that. You can, uh, and then with the untouchables, that. isn't it? No, it's not me. Yes, it is. It's on my phone. A night with the untouchables. Okay, there you go. I will bet you a beer and a half. Okay. By the way, I drank half your beer. Anyway, that's yeah. super important, what Carrie just said. When people come down and they see with their own eyes what's going on and they talk to people, uh, they realize very quickly that this is not what the mainstream legacy media is making it out to be. And there's two reasons that's super important. The first one is that if you fail to come down here and learn what this is all about, you're gonna miss out on something incredibly important in Canadian history. The second thing, if you just blindly accept what the news is telling you to be fact, you don't come down here and see that they're lying, you're not gonna know that the news is lying to you and they've been lying to you. And you're gonna to continue to blindly follow what they say, you're gonna to continue to blindly just agree with some op-ed in there, uh, somebody who thinks that everyone that's unvaxxed should be in jail because the news tells you to. But if you start opening your eyes and talking to people and finding the truth for yourself, um, it's going to start changing the way you look at other things. And it's, I, I feel like it's a lot better over here. Yeah. In my opinion. Someone asked uh, where can they actually watch the speeches that are up on the stage. So we actually had a meeting about that. We want to set up a camera and live stream everything. 
there's some logistical problems, and that kind of is a segue into a different thing about streaming and uh, cell phone service. So the cell phone, uh, we were told today, was going to be out, and that Rogers and Telus were going to be working on their lines, and there would have been mask pandemonium because people would have said, uh, there's a blackout, I can't find out what's going on with, uh, you know, I thought you were getting a beer. Um, and, but that never happened. So safe, it was all good. But that was a concern is that if we set up a, uh, a live stream, what happens if that camera does go up? So that was a bit of a concern that we were talking about. Either way, for the weekend, guaranteed, we will have a live stream set up. Yeah, it won't I be here. It'll probably be on the Freedom Convoy 2022 site or something like that. Oh, we'll no. Oh, we will yeah. live stream. Oh, we'll live yeah. I guess we'll And we're also going to set up our GoPro that was so generously yes, donated to us. that's a good idea. So that um, it can capture the entire thing in yeah. the event that the cell phone service is interrupted. Yeah. <coughs> and I don't think it's going to be like, oh, let's just flick the switch on cell phone service to mess with these people. Yeah. I think it will be more like, man, there's two million people here, and the network is completely saturated, and it can't handle that much data. Yeah. Especially if everybody is live streaming. Yes, yeah. that's a lot of last year. So. so what else? I think that's pretty much it. There were comments yesterday about um, you guys weren't answering our questions or your only selective questions or something to that effect. And, well, and if you had 2,700 questions flying at you <laughs> in 40 minutes, you would probably have to be selective about your questions. Yeah, it's, it is difficult to go through. And uh, likewise, if, if you scroll through, like right now, I only see about 100. So I only see about the last 100. If you haven't done a live stream, that's kind of where they limit you, and then uh, and then you're always kind of just pushing forward onto the the new ones. So so just keep posting the question. Yeah, yeah, you can Do it post, again, it, again, post again. it many times. Yep. It doesn't matter. A lot of people are asking about BC too. About BC, what they're doing with restrictions? Yeah. No comment. Um, no. Honestly, we just I have no idea. Right now, we seem to be focused more on what's happening here in Ottawa and obviously home in Alberta. And um, so if you've got some news about BC, please share it. And, and likewise, any province, please share it. Because it is, uh, I think the convoy, no matter how you slice it, is definitely uh, a tool that's been used to open up the restrictions. Yes, it's, well, it's doing what it's intended to do, which is encourage others to stand up and speak out um, stand up for themselves and take back their lives. Yeah. Speaking of which, did we mention that Alberta is dropping the RIP program tomorrow? No, we should probably do a video on that. We should. Yeah. We'll do that another time. Anyway, just a really quick update. Alberta is dropping the RIP program tomorrow, which means that the Whistle Stop Cafe in Mirror, Alberta will be fully open. Um, you can dine in without fear of being dragged out in handcuffs and thrown in jail with other common criminals like myself and Archer Kulowski, yeah. who was in jail again. He was in jail again, yes. Pastor Art is in jail again. We don't really know any of the details, but I'm sure people will either comment or we will find out as soon as we're off this. They should start giving him air miles for his jail states, or like right. Hilton points or something, because he'd be racking up like crazy. Yes. So we are going to look into that and find out what's going on with uh, Pastor Archer, but uh, yeah, he's in jail. So the, the whole point of this was just to say that oh. my restaurant is open again. Yeah. I'm not going to be there, but my sister and the rest of the staff are doing a heck of a job keeping things rolling while I'm gone. And they're very, very excited to see you. 
uh, so excited that my sister is insisting that we continue with the pancake breakfast we were doing for. That's a brilliant idea. Yeah, I'm very excited for that. Are you going to do that Sundays? Probably not this Sunday, because I think there's some preparations to do that. But in a Sunday near you, um, we will be doing free pancake breakfast at the Whistle Stop Cafe in Mare, Alberta again. So, something to look forward to. Amazing. Maybe we'll be there. The pancakes, the bacon, and the coffee are all amazing. What kind of coffee? Mother Parker's. It's wonderful. Fresh ground, in-house. Is there a slogan with that? Went to the last mother. What? <laughs> I don't think so. I got patent pending on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Is there any other? Uh, yeah, there's probably comments. Are there any other comments? We got uh, Gavin Curry's running the camera today. You can turn around hey. if you want to show No, don't do it. We want to keep our viewers going. <laughs> I don't think they want to see me. There you go. Yeah, I think that's it. Okay. Oh, one more thing. What? Mike B's a dink. Wow. <laughs> How you doing, Join our Canadian convoy Ain't nothing getting in our way Come on, join our Canadian